0: But if you get sued in federal court, there could be the possibility that it doesn't help you. So we're looking for the federal law to give the maximum protection. Everybody needs to be aware of that and get your readers to contact their members of Congress and say, you know, are you wear this because it's a really good idea and it's going to help me. It's going to help you and it's going to help everybody.
1: Welcome to It's All Journalism. I'm Michael O'Connell here with another podcast about digital journalism. In studio today with me is a former guest, Kevin Goldberg. Welcome back, Kevin. Thanks. So Kevin is an attorney. He's the legal counselor for both the American Society of News Editors and our podcast partners, the Association of Alternative News Media, two great organizations. And uh, you were in here not too long ago talking about the Freedom of Information Act with Rick Bloom of Sunshine and Government Initiative – long story short, uh, when we were wrapping up that podcast, you mentioned another topic that w- uh, that you were dealing with that that has a that could have a chilling effect on journalism and well and free speech in general strategic lawsuits against public participation or slap for short so first of all, can you sort of explain what these lawsuits are and, and who's filing them and why
0: well, the lawsuits are Designed simply to keep people quiet. They are an indic you know—a use of the legal system to put someone on the defensive. So, an example, a local example, an example that, like everything else in D.C., is divisive. I would say, involving the owner of the local football team, and so you, you, a lot of people oh, remember we're taking this. It there, a, a lot of it's hard not to go there in Washington D.C., isn't it? And also because this is this involved a member of the of the Association of Alternative News Media, the local alt weekly, the Washington City Paper, which had written an article about Daniel Snyder that was somewhat tongue-in-cheek. I think it was called The Cranky Fan's Guide to Daniel Snyder a, from A to Z. And it mentioned a number of things about him. And he's, you know, not the most liked person in the city. And so A couple of things he really took issue with were the way he was portrayed on the cover where they did sort of the yearbook photo thing and they drew devil horns and a goatee on him and he claimed it was anti-Semitic and that sort of set things off on the wrong foot. Even if it was, that's not defamatory in any way. You know, legally it is not defamatory. But he did find things that he thought were defamatory and including three allegations in particular, one that said he had, you know, he had been the subject of a criminal investigation and criminal charges, which were actually put to one of his businesses, not him. That he had gone all Agent Orange on trees that were growing on his land by the Potomac River. Well, those tre- trees were gone. Yes, they, they were went cut somewhere. down. They were cut down, but technically, as he points out, he did not use Agent Orange. <laughs> that's, oh, that that's, be- the, that's the absurdity of the whole thing. Is that he? You know, he's claiming that the city paper said he actually used Agent Orange, and therefore the article was false and defamatory. And then finally, that he had been kicked off the board of of the Six Flags Corporation which he claims was technically not true either. So what does he do? Well, rather than doing what, what, what he could have done, perhaps, either stay silent and you know people realize it's not true, or maybe use his ability to, to get the media to listen to him and respond, he immediately sicked his lawyers on the city paper. And what he did was he actually didn't even sick it on the city paper. He had his lawyers send a letter to the hedge fund that invested in the company that owns the city paper. So a letter was sent to Adalia Capital Management Company. And I wish I could say I was actually quoting this from memory, but but here's the nut graph, so to speak, from his lawyer to the lawyers for Adalia Capital Management. Mr. Snyder has more than sufficient means to protect his reputation and defend himself and his wife against your papers, concerted attempt at character assassination. We presume that defending such litigation would not be a rational strategy for an investment fund such as yours. Indeed, the cost of litigation would presumably quickly outstrip the asset value of the Washington City Paper. In other words, stop writing mean things about me. Take it all back, or I will sue you and make you spend money that you don't want to spend and don't have. Because but I do.
1: because I have deeper pockets, and even if we go down this route, I'm going to eventually prevail because you're you're going to disappear. It wasn't
0: about prevailing. Yeah, it's it's not about prevailing in the least. It's about making things difficult, or you know, for you and expensive for you and troublesome for you and stressful for you. And then you'll go away because you don't want any of those things.
1: So is this something really new? I mean, is this something that's been around? Because well, it sounds like something that would have been around for a long time, people with a little money trying to throw a little influence around to oh, shut somebody up.
0: Oh, clearly. I, I mean, you know, you can, you can also look at the other divisive moments of our times, the, the presidential race. And one of the candidates, perhaps both, have used slap lawsuits for, for years. Certainly, the presumptive Republican candidate Donald Trump is well known for filing lawsuits against vocal critics.
1: All right. So, well, why doesn't Dan Snyder, why doesn't Donald Trump, I mean, if, if, if a newspaper or something says something that, that is defamatory, why don't they pursue it that way? Why go this other way? Why don't they, like, file a court case and try to, you know, get the, um, a defamation suit?
0: Well, because they would lose. Because the suit would be frivolous. And, and that's the thing. Slaps aren't just about, about the threat. The slap is the lawsuit itself. And then the anti-slap... Uh, if law, if it exists, kicks in once the suit is filed. But it can also be a great deterrent when you get that first letter. I mean, as an attorney, I will tell you that if someone comes to me and says, we got this cease and desist or this demand letter asking us to retract our statement or telling us not to write anymore or not follow the story, they'll they'll call me and say, well, what, what should we do? How scared should we be? And one of the first things I'll tell you that I do is make sure that the state in question that they're in Has an anti-slap or doesn't have an anti-slap because that's really going to bolster your ability to say, go take a fly and leap. Or it makes you stop and think about, well, we could get tied up and there's not a thing we can do about it.
1: So – some states do have anti-slap laws. How many are there that have these?
0: Yeah, so you you mentioned that the concept of a slap lawsuit itself is rather old. It's been probably going along. going Things like this have happened since people started speaking and writing. The concept of an anti-slap is a relatively recent creation that started about the 1980s when people realized it's not enough to have the First Amendment that gives you the the ability to ultimately win a case in court. We need a reason to procedurally... Accelerate the case and maybe give me the right to win my own damages if I've had to endure a frivolous lawsuit. So right now, just under 30 of the states and the District of Columbia, I think it's about 28 states and the District of Columbia have state level anti-slap laws.
1: Okay. And is there um, uh – legislation in Congress is going to address this? Yeah, and that's one of the reasons
0: I, I, I kind of you know suggest that we talk about this because I think it's really important for people to know that th- that legislation has been introduced in the last few years. This year, it exists in the form of something called the, S- the Speak Free Act, which is HR 2304 and was introduced by a congressman from Texas named Blake Farenthold. And it has about 32 co-sponsors right now, but really hasn't gained a lot of traction in Congress. I personally never saw this as a one Congress thing. It's a two to three Congress bill to get people sort of understanding the issues, getting them to understand the language that we need and getting the bill passed. And that takes a lot of time. But but there is a proposal that would create a federal anti-slap law.
1: And so, you know, you say two, two or three three Congresses, that's actually kind of. The way Congress works yeah. is that someone will introduce a bill. There'll be a lot of talk about it. And then well, didn't somebody introduce it? Well, not that law yet or anything? But it, it actually takes time to percolate to kind of to build up support for it and also to sort of drum up awareness in in the communities so that people will say to their congressman, say to their senator, look, this is important to us. We need to, to make it happen.
0: Exactly. I mean, you know, when we talked about the FOIA reform a couple couple of weeks ago, that bill has actually moved pretty well and it's still taken us about four years, if not longer, to get to the point where we're at right now.
1: Can you give us any other examples of uh, slap lawsuits? I know that one of the ones that you uh, when we originally started talking about this there's one over in Arlington community has come out in opposition to a a gun shop that's opening up yeah and and the gun shop owner has has sort of made some threats and well
0: and now filed and, a lawsuit okay yes yeah, so so there was this store that was going to open in a, in a neighborhood in Arlington Virginia a gun store and and there was vocal opposition to the store's opening in a, in a strip mall in a neighborhood basically and a lot of the the local neighbors in a neighborhood called Lion Park and elsewhere weren't really happy about this. And they talked to their representatives in the state legislature and they tried to talk to the owner of the strip mall that was renting this space and try to get the owner of the strip mall to reconsider the rental. And after some very public protest, the owner of the gun store actually made a few statements that said, look, you know, if you're trying to interfere with my, my ability to do business, I'm going to use every means I can to get this store open, including the legal system. And ultimately He did file a lawsuit, not only against members of the community in the local community who had spoken out against this, but against the seven members of the Virginia House of Delegates and Virginia Senate that had written a letter to the owner of the strip mall. And it went so far as to name a bunch of I think it was almost 67 John Doe's people to be named later that had spoken out in some way but couldn't be identified including some people that did nothing more than like a Facebook post that was in opposition to the store, all on the basis of, you know, illegal interference with, you know, the establishment of a business. And, and really, so it goes to show that this is the, the point of this part of it is that slaps are more than just about, you know, defamatory statements. They they hide, a slap lawsuit can hide in the guise of anything from a copyright infringement lawsuit to, you know, tortious interference with business contracts to anything. But ultimately, they all go down to trying to get people to stop criticizing
1: you. Okay, so and then that's the point where it becomes a free speech issue.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, these people were vocal in their opposition to, to a business they didn't want opening. Maybe some state, I you know, I, I haven't looked at every last statement that was that was made in in opposition to the store. Maybe some were were might have some validity to them, but clearly, some of the people that were being sued were were, were being subjected to what I think is a frivolous lawsuit.
1: Okay, so what is it? These uh, anti uh, slap. Uh, Uh, laws are trying to do? How do they sort of undo uh, the slap? You know, it's interesting because what they
0: try to do in the most basic form is get a frivolous lawsuit kicked out of court as quickly as possible. So you don't have to spend money in defending yourself. And hopefully we'll also allow the defendant who's subjected to this frivolous lawsuit to actually get their legal fees. Because under the American judicial system, The only party that generally gets their legal fees paid for is a winning winning plaintiff. So if I take you to court and I win, I get my fees. But if I take you to court and I lose, you don't get your fees paid for, which is exact, you know, that's exactly what the, you know, people filing these suits are banking on. Hey, doesn't matter if, you know, even if I lose and I've got the money to spend on my lawyers, you don't.
1: Okay. That's pretty clear. And it's pretty clear, (laughs) I guess, for for me.
0: me. For (laughs) for all us normal people in the world. Yes. uh,
1: So. Yeah, are there people coming out in opposition to these these lawsuits? Yeah, well, I
0: mean, a, a lot of the media are opposing, supporting the anti-slap movement and opposing these types of lawsuits. I'm, you know, in full disclosure, a member of an organization that's dedicated to the education of the public and pressing for an anti-slap law called the Public Participation Project. And at last count, we had about a hundred different organizations around the country, mostly media organizations, but others who were supporting the notion of a federal anti-slap law. But, you know, one of the biggest supporters, one of the biggest leaders in the the movement for the Speak Free Act is Yelp because their, you know, their oh, wow. clientele, yeah. you know, you write a Yelp review that's critical of a business and you could get slapped. And and it's bad for Yelp in two ways because sometimes they get dragged into the lawsuit, even though under a separate law called the Communications Decency Act, Yelp is completely immune for liability for anything you or I might post as a reviewer. Sometimes they get dragged into these lawsuits and have to defend themselves. But mostly, it's a business decision from them to pre, you know to protect their users, their reviewers, and and you know every, if if people are dissuaded from from reviewing businesses because the business owner wants to you know doesn't like what they've heard and wants to threaten a lawsuit, then people stop using Yelp,
1: yeah, and, and, and
0: TripAdvisor and everything else. You know,
1: it's funny. This is very much like FOIA in that you know there's a perception with FOIA that it's a it's a media. Act, but in actuality, it's it's for everybody, and this is this is not just so that newspapers can can go out and uh, you know cover the news and, and protect the, themselves. It's also free speech for for pretty much everybody.
0: Well, exactly, and and I'll also say, of course, with regard to newspapers, radio, broadcast, television, whatever, there is the then secondary effect on the readership, viewership, listenership, where if the publication is not able to you know not able to report then then we lose that free flow of information because you know the the publication says well i can't handle a lawsuit right now i'm just not going to write the article or i'm going to write a retraction then the, or where they just play it safe then the public loses out so there it it affects the public in so many ways when these lawsuits go forward
1: so what is what is it the organizations that you're working with to, to sort of push this forward
0: well, we've been we've been active on Capitol Hill. We've been trying to educate the public about this. We've been trying to make sure that our members are speaking out in favor of the Speak Free Act. I personally have done not only visits to Capitol Hill offices on both the House and Senate side, but I've done a couple of Hill briefings for for staffers. So I did one with the Inter- Internet Technology Innovation Foundation just a couple of weeks ago, where we sat down and tried to explain these same concepts to Hill staffers. Because I think once you explain it to someone. As a you know, as an individual, again, how will it affect you? Have you ever tweeted something that you later said you know maybe that wasn't a good idea? You could be slapped. Have you ever posted that Facebook post where you you just ranted about something on in the middle of a bad day? You could be slapped. Have you ever made a Yelp review? You could be slapped. It's such an intensely relatable issue that I think it's an easy sell. We just need to get people aware of it.
1: So, and for the for the journalist who who sort of goes out there and feels that oh I you know I've got the First Amendment. Protecting me, I'm I'm gonna be the responsible journalist. I'm gonna you know name my sources. I'm gonna do all the things that I'm supposed to do, the due diligence. You know, have transparency in, in my reporting and everything. There's still a possibility that you're gonna publish something that somebody doesn't really like. Maybe you in a in a in a First Amendment type lawsuit, um, you're gonna be able to win it. You're gonna be able to defend yourself that, be, you know, because you've done everything that you're supposed to be. But here's somebody who's trying to sort of circumvent that protection and try to to pressure you to you know change what you're doing
0: having an anti-slap law you know behind you can affect so many different parts of the reporting process because i also get a lot of questions not just after problems start to arise but of course in my job i get requests from publications and broadcasters who want me to engage in pre-publication review or pre-broadcast review and you know especially if it's a semi controversial story whatsoever. You know, one of the first questions I will ask is, what do you know about the litigation history of the person you're writing about? Are they particularly litigious? And you have to start taking that in mind. So from the, you know, taking that into account. So from the very moment you start writing a story, this can have ramifications. Am I going to go after this person? Because even if I'm 100% right, are they going to sue me? Well, if I have an anti-slap law behind me, then that's okay. Maybe I'm willing to, to still be aggressive. Without it, you might make default in any number of ways to boring stories about boring people without any controversy. And that's not what we want.
1: Yeah. And you could look at your subject who might have some deep pockets and and see that over the last 10 years he's filed, you know, 50 of these these lawsuits and say, well, maybe I don't want to write about him because this he's not going to like this. And so that affects your story choice. That affects the, you know, the way that you're going to tell the story.
0: Exactly. Uh, And And so
1: he's won not by at that point by not even doing a new lawsuit. He's 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 jumped into the process, your thought process for the story. And to be clear that most anti slap
0: laws at the state level and the federal proposal the speak free act will defend you where you're talking about matters of public concern. Mm-hmm. So, if it's a truly a matter of private concern about a private individual and it has no greater bearing on our community, the law may not be at your disposal. But, but I think that's what, kind of what we want, right? We want we want the protection, and we understand that we should have the biggest protection when you're a reporter doing a story that matters to everyone. So, for instance, you know, the, the Speak Free Act itself, the federal proposal, has a very detailed definition of what is a matter of public concern, and this is one of the differences between the different laws. Is some things will only protect you if you are speaking out on a, like an official government something that was the subject of an official government proceeding. The, the federal proposal is much broader and has a broad definition of what is a matter of public concern and when you could trigger this law. And then you know then has a number of other provisions to protect you. But but I think at at the core they are, these laws are intended to make sure
1: we are able to report freely on things that matter to everyone. So going back to your original example of of, of Dan Snyder, is it matter to everybody just because he's the the owner of the Redskins, that he's a public official, or the time that he cut down all those trees, is it just because, you know, that's something that impacts you? I mean, all of it, except he's really not a public official because he's not a public 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 figure. figure,
0: But I mean, mean, the answer otherwise would be yes, yes, and yes. It matters for all those reasons because, you know, the trees example was a matter of how is a government agency policing one person versus another? And in the business world, Six Flags a very big corporation. The, the the football team is a very big institution in this city, and all of these things matter. But but let's talk about another one that that really also matters, also involving an alt weekly. More recent, the Sacramento News and Review was recently uh, sued by the mayor of Sacramento, Kevin oh, that Johnson. Photo. Uh, well, not about the photo. This is the they had filed a FOIA request. Now we're bringing that not just about the photo, but Kevin Johnson. <laughs> He's as divisive in Sacramento, I think, as Dan Snyder is here, except that he's the mayor. But this will now meld our FOIA discussion from a couple of weeks ago, in a way, to, to anti slap. So, the Sacramento News and Review had filed a FOIA request seeking emails between Kevin Johnson's office, his mayor's office, and outside lawyers regarding a dispute that was going on with the National Conference of Black Mayors. At the time, Johnson was ahead of that. There was this whole thing about whether he was trying to sort of do a hostile takeover of the organization. Well, so, so they filed a public records request to determine why was the mayor using private email accounts to do what was ostensibly public business, right? And why was he using city staff to do non-city business like engineers takeover of the National Council of Black Mayors? Where were our tax scholars going? And instead of answering their quest, the mayor actually filed a lawsuit and, said, and tried to get them to cease and desist from filing a FOIA request, which is something <laughs> that's, you know, basically a right of every citizen, as we know, to file a FOIA request, it's that's a slap. That's why this matters.
1: Yeah. And uh, I remember hearing about that one at O&A last year. They, they talked about that. And that was the time. It was shortly after. Wasn't there a lawsuit over not a photo but a, um, a cartoonist yes. rep- representation, representation of, of him? Of him. Yeah.
0: And also a slap. <laughs> would it would be a slap. It's very, very difficult to, to imagine you know, what is likely a hyperbolic political cartoon giving rise to a true defamation lawsuit. OK, yeah. So I, 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 I don't remember the exact details around that photo. You know, you could see that leading to a slap lawsuit.
1: OK, so has there been a resolution in, in any of the thing with Sacramento yet?
0: Not that I know of. No.
1: <laughs> OK, so what is it people need to be doing? What is it newsrooms need to be doing to, to sort of promote this?
0: Well, I think they need to make people aware when when they are threatened I mean, you know, it, it actually helps. I think to, in many ways, to publicly shame people who are trying to publicly shame you. So when you when you're being threatened by someone, you know, talk to your lawyers first. But but one of the one of the options to push back may be to publicize it and sort of you know come back over the top on on that person. But but certainly look at the state level at these laws. There are again 22 states that don't have these laws, and many others that have really weak ones. I mean, one of the reasons that. Dan Snyder we think chose to sue the or send the threatening letter and eventually did sue first in New York against the hedge fund was that New York's anti-slap law is much weaker than the then recently passed DC anti-slap law. So you want to you know you want to make sure that your state law if it's not very strong can be strengthened and if you don't have one at all you certainly want to go there. You definitely want the federal law as well because there's a couple things behind the federal law. One is to fill in the gaps if possible. If you could get this law to apply in state court, and there are some questions about how you make a federal law apply in a purely state court proceeding, that's for us lawyers to figure out. <laughs> um, that's what they pay that, that, you for. Yeah, that would be and that is one of the biggest questions we are trying to, to attack is is whether there would be jurisdiction, you know, whether the First Amendment itself, the fact that you're effectively raising a First Amendment defense itself, would allow this to a- apply in a state court. But also now we're seeing a couple of courts that have said, well, the state the state laws don't apply if you're sued in federal court. So all a plaintiff would have to do is decide to sue you in federal court if they have that ability. And suddenly your state law, even if it is the most wonderful one in the world, like you know, some really good ones out there. California has been one of the gold standards for a long time. Texas is recently new, but great. But if you get sued in federal court, there could be the possibility that it doesn't help you. So we're looking for the federal law to give the maximum protection, and everybody needs to be aware of that and get your readers to contact their members of Congress. And so, you know, you wear
1: this because it's a really good idea and it's going to help me. It's going to help you and it's going to help everybody. One thing I I wanted to go back to to sort of make sure that I understood the the actual lawsuit. Let's say that, you know, somebody's uh, filed a slap uh, against me. And, uh, you know, how does what is the mechanism that that happens that allows this to sort of unravel and to save m- me money and everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to erase. <laughs> that's the, a really poorly but,
1: worded question, but,
0: you know, but how, how do, how do anti-slaps work? I don't know. Yeah. Um, that's so, yes. Yeah, so, so as I said, there are differing level, differing um, protections from state to state and with the proposed federal law, but most of them do, you know, have sort of the same common layout. It has sort of a trigger for when you could potentially file what we often call a motion a special motion to dismiss under the anti slap law. So if I get sued, I always have the ability to file a motion to dismiss, which says that even if everything you say is true, it still doesn't show a violation of law. So again, going back to the Daniel Snyder thing, Hey, even if it was an anti-Semitic cartoon on the cover of that city paper, as I said, that doesn't necessarily mean it's defamatory or illegal. So, you know, taking those facts, you still haven't shown a violation of law. I could always file a motion to dismiss, but if the plaintiff can then show any little factual controversy that that might create a violation of law, the case goes forward into into discovery, which is thing, where things get really expensive and expensive. Yeah, you're exchanging confidential information sometimes, you know, or, or unknown information, and and you're really in the weeds now. the The, the anti-slap and the special motion to dismiss says, you know, again, we'll, we'll look at the federal law. If I've made a statement on a matter of public concern, as it's defined in the law, and you sue me over that statement, I can file a motion, a special motion to dismiss. And then the burden shifts back to you, the person who's suing me, the plaintiff, to show that the claim is likely to succeed on the merits.
1: And if you can't do that... If you can't present evidence.
0: Yeah. If you can't present that sort of higher standard because we're in a, you know, a First Amendment free speech situation, then your case has to has to be dismissed. Now, further... There are accelerated timeframes for all of this. So, I mean, the court system can go on for years. But under under the federal proposal, I would have to file my motion to dismiss the lawsuit within 45 days of the filing of your, your lawsuit against me. And with you know certain exceptions, the court has to hold a, me- a hearing within 30 days, though it can postpone that for up to 60 more. And then it has to issue a ruling – within 30 days of the last filing. So now we're, you know, instead of looking at years in court or months in court, it's probably compressed to about a three to four month time frame. And if I lose, I don't then have to go through the trial before I appeal. You know, I can appeal that one motion, which is kind of unusual. It's called interlocutory appeal. I can immediately appeal that to a higher court. So again, we still haven't gotten into that really difficult discovery phase yet. And finally, finally, if I do win, Again, one thing we talked about earlier is now I can actually get my fees back. I can get my lit- litigation costs, my expert witness fees, reasonable attorneys' fees, and not just if I win, but if you file the suit, I file my motion to dismiss under the anti-slap law, and you say, "Ooh, now you mean business." I'm pulling out of this. I'm you know I'm, I'm withdrawing my claim. That's considered a win for me, and I still could get some of my fees back.
1: So that's uh, that's nice in that it the. The slap that the, um, the person is putting against you, yeah. which is, is, is meant to sort of pressure you because yeah. your concerns about um, uh, the financial burden, suddenly shifts back on him and that's her. the
0: That is the really important part. I mean it's great that you have these accelerated procedures. But again, you look at the two people we talked about at the outset, Daniel Snyder, Donald Trump, really rich people who don't care if they win or lose and probably don't care if they have to spend a little money as long as you have to spend a little money. They might actually care if now they have to spend a lot of money and you don't have to spend any money.
1: Mm-hmm. And, that,
0: that's a big deterrent now.
1: And the reason that they're, they're doing it, it becomes less uh, rewarding for them. As yeah, it were. There,
0: there is a big deterrent factor in these things.
1: OK, so what is it? What is the AAN and ASNE are doing about this? So
0: they just um, again, trying to get our members involved, trying to get them to write about it, trying to get them to to contact their. They're members of Congress. There's always a sense, I, and I get it, that that writing too much about media-related issues or doing a podcast about journalism hey. issues is inside baseball, you know, hey. self-serving. But but it's not. It's not. It's it's about making people understand the importance of what's going on. We talked about it in two senses. It's not a media issue. It's a public issue. It's about keeping members of the public protected and keeping members of the public informed because you're protected. And these are things that are, you know, going away and we need to preserve them. And I think that's the message that we're trying to convey through through our organization and have our members convey via their their publications and their and their individual contacts with local local uh, representatives.
1: OK, one, one final question. What is it if you get one of these lawsuits against you? What, what what's, do you recommend that you do first?
0: Contact an attorney.
1: And that's not self-serving either. <laughs> look, I, you know, oh, the, I see who wins. In yeah. this.
0: <laughs> no, you know what? The legal, I mean, look, the legal, legal system is what it is. The legal system I, is, what it, legal is. System is <laughs> what it is. Yeah. And, and I deal with a lot of clients because I'm involved with media clients. I don't have a lot of money to spend on this. You're going to end up, I think losing in the end. If you think you can get through the initial process without some professional help. That's why we exist. I always make the joke. I don't do my own surgery. And frankly, I don't I don't make my own investments because there are people that went to school and got degrees specific to that. Well, guess what? So did I. And and I am here to help you and not me. But but, you know, lawyers are here to help you. And you don't you know, you don't want to have need one until you need one. But there comes that point and You have to you really have to. I think that's the first thing and take it seriously. Even if it's the most frivolous lawsuit in the world, it can, you know, balloon out of proportion before you know it. And it's best to just be smart about this. Get a professional assessment on it early and and know where you where you stand and what you have in, in, in your defense.
1: Kevin, thank you for coming in. Uh, I feel much more informed about a, a subject that is very much inside baseball, but actually affects a lot of people.
0: Yeah, thanks. And, and I will point out just for our own purposes here that this was all taped in the District of Columbia where we have an anti-slap law, but Virginia does not.
1: Um, so, uh, so that's well, why we did this here, right? Even there though, are a lot of things that Virginia does not have that but, but, uh, decent, but we can go buy guns pretty easily. In, yeah, in apparently Virginia, so. Uh, and, and, uh, and file
0: lawsuits when people don't want you by exactly, buying those guns. So, But that's the thing. I mean you look at that Virginia lawsuit, and they do not have those people that are being sued don't have an anti slap law at their defense. But we have one here in the district, and it would make their lives I
1: think a lot easier if that existed. Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming in. Thanks, Mike next time on it's all journalism so we got the idea that we could shed light on this process we could try to answer some of the questions about how colleges ended up on this list what the investigation entailed what the findings might be and just let people really understand how this was all playing out in our next podcast we talked to sarah Lipka. Ben Myers and John Davenport of the Chronicle of Higher Education about their new Title IX tracker, which makes it easier to keep track of college sexual violence in the U.S. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the changing state of digital news. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and now Google Play. This week's episode was produced by me, Michael O'Connell, Amber Healy, and Nicole Lagrisco.